He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Hi, this is Dick Morris. We all know that Joe Biden isn't going to run again. We know that with his poll numbers in the tank, uh, he is not going to run again. Hello. Is there anybody in there? That's his problem. <laughs> and the poll numbers reflect. Please help me, I'm falling. Oh, yeah, he's Please help me, I'm falling. Yep. And we know that his poll numbers are increasingly slip-sliding away. So what I thought I'd do is go through a musical tour, (laughs) a magical mystery tour, if you will, of uh, the field emerging in the 24 Democratic primary. This is what's going to happen, in my view, after 22, when Biden gets his clock cleaned in the election and the Democrats go over to him and say, Joe, we love you. You've been a great president, man, man for the ages and for history. But please tell him you're not going to run again uh, because we need to give our other candidates time to come out. Uh, We can't let them just use you as a punching bag and hurting our party. You're dragging our party down. Look at the poll. Look at the midterm election results. So please, please, don't run again. So, who are they going to get? Well, the party, the leadership, and the Biden people, the establishment, are going to want this guy, Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation. Buttigieg is in charge of $2 trillion. $2 trillion. Trillion, that's with a T, of patronage, wow. of contracts, of goodies, of jobs that he can distribute more or less at will. The law says, you know, here's $500 billion to retrofit roads with uh, electric charging stations. Okay, well, who gets the contract? Uh, is that they don't need necessarily to be competitively bid, who has the jobs overseeing it, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. And with patronage like that and goodies like that to dispense, he can rake in campaign contributions mm. unbelievably. I mean, you give, that, you give a guy an orchard and he can pass out apples to everyone. And that's <laughs> where Buttigieg finds himself. So that's candidate number one, Pete Buttigieg. Now, the left is not going to let Buttigieg have that nomination to himself. The left is going to want its candidate included, and they are likely to push AOC. Free your mind instead. 
But if you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you ain't gonna make it with anyone anyhow. There goes AOC's candidacy. <laughs> she's, actually, she's too young to remember who Chairman Mao is, but, you know, she remembers Che Guevara, I guess. Um, so, a revolution by the Beatles, and that is uh, what AOC is going to be pushing. In the meantime, Kamala Harris is going to run, of course. She'll open as the front runner, but she's only getting about 23 or 24 percent of the vote in the polling that's being taken with if Biden doesn't run. <clears throat> and that's pathetic for an incumbent vice president running for president. And uh, she did terribly the last time she ran. She actually was knocked out of the race before the first vote was cast in the first caucus or the first primary. She not only didn't get off the mat, she literally never got above zero. And that's that's why she was the sitting member of the United States Senate from the biggest state in the country. And she couldn't manage more than two or three points in the polls. But she's going to take the position that with her vice presidency under her belt, and that experience and that exposure and being part of the administration, she will do much better the second time around. Love is lovelier <laughs> the second time around. Yep. Frank. And Frank should know he's Just had... He's been through it a couple of times. He's done a second time around yeah. many, many times. That's right. And in the meantime, when Harris gets into the race, there's another candidate who's run before and lost before and run before and lost before who now wants to run again. And we know who that is. Okay, so that completes our magical mystery tour of the 2024 field. If you want to weigh in, give me a call at 800-848-9222. That's 800 800- 848-WABC. So here's how I think it's going to shake out. I think that before 22, before the election, there's going to be increasing discussion of Hillary because there'll be an increasing feeling among the Democratic Party that we've got to get rid of the domination of the left, that they're dragging us down, that the progressives are actually killing us, and there will be a feeling of turning to Hillary. I know that there's the Durham probe, and I know that she committed, like, treason. But the point is that the liberal media is going to ignore that. Mm. Nobody that votes in the Democratic primary will know who the hell Durham is or anything about that scandal, just like they didn't know who Hunter Biden was. and They never heard of the laptop from hell. Yeah, they know crack pipes, though. They don't get to – yeah, this, is, by the way, is my buddy Dougie DePiro – who helped with that magical mystery tour of song. <laughs> yeah, sure. And um, the, we not only have a difference of opinion in this country between the right and the left and a different view of reality, we have different memories of events. Uh, entire portions of the news over the last two or three years has been erased from public consciousness in the left. In fact, it was never there 
Nobody ever heard of the laptop. Nobody ever heard of the money coming in from China. And nobody will have ever heard of Durham in the Democratic primary. So that's not going to stop Hillary. She's going to do just fine with that. And uh, she's going to come into this race as his savior of the Democratic Party. That will, of course, then, of course, everybody's going to look at Harris. And as she fades, as she can't succeed, as it becomes clear that her numbers are terrible, there will be pressure built for Hillary because they're going to want to run a woman. And they won't be able to run Harris any more than they could run Biden. And Harris will at some point do exactly what she did last time, drop out before the first before the first votes really? are cast. And I don't think she'll be a candidate in Iowa even. I think that before Iowa and New Hampshire, she will be out of this race. Um, you may remember that Dan Quayle ran for president, believe it or not, uh, after Bush. And he was, the, he was the vice president of the United States. And I think he opened at about 4% of the vote and he folded at about 4% of the vote or so. And uh, that same thing is going to happen with Harris. So there's going to be a momentum for a woman and that is going to really benefit Hillary's candidacy. But then the other thing that's going to hype Hillary is AOC. When people, when the uh, left sees that there's no that there's no woman running for president, no, because the vice president won't do it. Harris will be out. They'll realize that it's either Hillary or their own woman, AOC, and they will not want the party to move uh, to the to the left, which they would with AOC. So the progressives are going to rally behind AOC and say that this is really our solution. The reason we lost in 22, they'll say, is that we didn't go far enough left. We didn't do enough uh, to explain our programs or to pass our programs, and we've got to move further to the left. I think I've explained this on the air before, but let me repeat it. Whenever a liberal loses an election to a conservative, the, cons- the liberal goes further to the left, doesn't go to the right, goes further to the left, because his constituency says you lost the election because you weren't far enough left. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the conservatives leave his primary. They switch to the Republican primary. Remember, a New York state is atypical in that you can only vote in the primary you're registered in. Most states you can vote in either primary, or you can even switch right before the election. So the primary is drained of the conservatives. They were all in the Republican primary. And the Democratic primary becomes really radicalized. And that is going to help AOC sweep these primary contests. And that's going to fuse Hillary as the hope that can save us from the extreme left. Buttigieg, he'll continue as the establishment candidate. He'll have more money than anybody uh, because of the patronage he's going to give away and the road money. Uh, but it's not going to amount to much because he really can't anchor that field. Um, the blacks will flake from him. Once Harris is gone, they'll come up with their own really black candidate who can win, and that's probably going to be Cory Booker. And Buttigieg is going to be left holding really an empty bag. And this race will become a three-way race among AOC, uh, the black candidate, probably Booker, and uh, Hillary. And then we'll go into the early primaries, uh, Super Tuesday, which the black candidate will win uh, because the, it's, it's stacked for that. 
56% of the black vote lives in Super Tuesday states. Uh, and then we'll go through the rest of the primaries, and Hillary will win a few, and AOC will sweep most of them. Uh, the left will unite behind her, and she will be running up to the Democratic nomination, just like Bernie Sanders was. And just like in 2020, the Democrats panicked, and they resurrected Joe Biden from the grave. He's the Lazarus candidate. <laughs> and they and they put him in to stop uh, Sanders from winning. And that's what they're going to do now with Hillary. She's going to be the hope that can save us from AOC. And it'll go down to the convention. It'll be the same fight that it was in 2020. The superdelegates who were appointed by the party will all be for Hillary. And the elected delegates will all be for AOC because she'll have won that primary. And who wins that fight depends on what the party rules say about what the independents, what the superdelegates can do. Do they need to vote the way their states did or can they be free to vote? What are the rules? None. There are rules now, but they can be totally changed by the convention. When the Democrats get a hold of the rule makers and say, hey, you got to free the superdelegates. They They're can all do having that? to vote. Yeah. Wow. They can do anything they want. Wow. You got to free the superdelegates because we don't want them all voting for AOC because their states did. Free the superdelegates. And they'll free them. They'll vote for Hillary. And then will that be enough to win or enough to split the Democratic Party, perhaps permanently, perhaps irrevocably? So that's 2024 on our magical mystery tour. This is the Dick Morris Show on 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Okay, for this one, you got to get out your calculator. <laughs> the CDC announced that the number of people who died of any cause at all during the pandemic, from the pandemic, from cancer, from heart disease, everything like that, was 1,045,000, 1,045. And the number that died of COVID specifically was 920,000. Okay, so do the math. What's 920 taken away from 1,045? Simple subtraction. It's 145,000 people who had excess deaths during that period. Let me explain excess deaths. When I said 1,045,000 people died, that, that is the number of people who would have died normally were it not for COVID. And that, that's, the, that's the normal death total. And, but if you take away those who died in COVID, what you have is the excess deaths. That is, the people that did not die of COVID, but did die above the number of people that normally would have died. So you take the number of people that would have died of cancer, would have died of heart disease, would have died of Alzheimer's, and you put them aside. Then you take the number that did die of those diseases, take away the ones who in fact died of COVID or had a COVID in it, and you have the number of people who died from lockdowns who would not have died were it not for the lockdowns. The lockdowns, in a sense, are worse, are the cure that was worse than the disease. 
and uh, it, it's horrible. It's the number of people who committed suicide, died of drug overdoses. I'm sorry, what's that number again? 145,000. Wow. People who died of suicides, drunk, uh, drunk driving, uh, alcohol problems, overdoses on drugs, and the number who died more than usual of heart disease and cancer and Alzheimer's and all of the deaths. You figure they didn't go to the hospital when they felt the chest pains because the hospital's filled with COVID. You figure they didn't go for their normal chemotherapy treatment mm. because of fears of COVID in the hospital. You figure that they uh, that they didn't get treatment for stuff. They didn't do elective surgery. They didn't do other surgery they were supposed to do, and uh, they got COVID and and they and they died, not of COVID, but of their other ailment. So you have 145,000 people who died from the from the cure and 920,000 who died from the disease. And locking down people, as they did for almost two years now, uh, is has been a terrible, terrible threat and blow to public health and to sanity and morale. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling around the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio. So who needs prison? Uh, mandatory minimum sentences are handed out by Fauci now. You just don't have to commit a crime. All you have to do is exist. Mm. In fact, if you get COVID, they still sentence you to lockdown. And we treat this as an inconvenience, which it is, a massive assault on civil liberties, which it is. What we don't understand is that it is state-sponsored homicide. It is people dying because of government policies, directly linked to those policies, caused by those policies. Now, some people get to commit suicide anyway, but not as many as did. Some people can dry dug it die of drug overdoses, but not as many as did during this period. Some people are going to die in drunken car wrecks, but not as many as did. And in all these situations, it is the lockdown that caused the deaths, and we need to understand that. And this is against the backdrop of the fact that the Johns Hopkins Medical School study said that there was a minimal, if that, savings of life as a result of the lockdowns. They said the death rate was lower by two-tenths of one percent. Tiny, minuscule. Uh, So the lockdown cured nothing and started everything. And we have to see it now. And as these stats mount, as more come in, we're going to see how pernicious and dangerous this was. Is, Is there any possibility of accountability on this? Anyone? Well, electoral accountability, I hope. You're right. And uh, we'll take it out on Joe Biden mm. uh, and on the Democratic Party. And Fauci, you know? Well, Fauci, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But you'd have to prove malice, which is hard. Mm-hmm. But I think that the that this, this should cast the issue of masks and shots into its proper perspective. Uh, and it doesn't count things like a kid not learning because he has to have a mask on all the time, being traumatized about going to school. It doesn't certainly doesn't take account of the impact of schools being closed 
and we'll know that impact in 10 years mm. when those people are teenagers and they can we can see the effect that it had on young children um, to be isolated and kept at home and uh, with masks on. We'll, learn, we'll only learn that in many, many years, uh, and it is absolutely scary. Uh, let's go to Andrew and Stanhope. Hey, Andrew. Great information, as always. And on Newsmax, you were great as far as the uh, black vote moving, Good. shifting towards the Republicans. Let me and explain. And the reverend yeah, go ahead. that you had on. He yeah, was he's great. the same and guy I had on the radio show uh, last week. What? Brilliant. The guy is brilliant. His name is Conrad Tillard. He's absolutely incredible. Go ahead. The Andrew. policies that you in the past in with Clinton and now with Trump more recently – Welfare reform was awesome because I saw the team, like the amount of kids went down out of wedlock. There's still, the out of wedlock still was is really high in the black community, and that's always going to help the Democrats. But the number of kids after you pass that, and and also teen pregnancy went down. Yep. And then more recently with Trump, the funding of historically black colleges, the Second Chance Act, and the Platinum Plan, that is all long term. That breaks government dependency and causes so everything you do is heaven sent and Andrew, uh, when you get thanks. your nose out of the newspaper pat yourself on the back yeah that was an incredible rendition Beautiful. of really. stats and policies you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right about all of that but you know the big impact of uh, of the the prioritization being given to gay women at the expense of black men uh is is overwhelmingly causing uh, an increase in uh, in out of wedlock births, which is causing an increase in poverty. It's very simple. Two minus one equals one. You don't need the calculator for that one. Uh, a two income family is going to be richer than a one income family. Duh. And you're sentencing these children to poverty uh, by breaking up these families. And the point that we that I've been making, and Tillard, Reverend uh, Tillard has been making is that you have to get to the core of this, and that means lifting up black men, not bypassing them, and not always just focusing on the needs of black women. Um, I have a call coming in here from Jay in Long Island um, with a very simple answer to it. What's your question, Jay? The question is, is a comment I'd like you to... I'm scaffolding off your analysis of uh, Hillary Clinton probably becoming the next nominee, and I was thinking, um, as a dark horse, you get a conservative Democrat like a mansion. Um, and the reason I, I suspect something like that is because I think uh, underneath everything, there are a lot of conservative Democrats who uh, are looking for someone who they can support, who independents can support, etc., and, and, and be Democrats. And uh, Mansion would, or somebody like that, would be more of a credible. Uh... Mansion would be good, but he's going to fall between two chairs. Uh, he can't win a Democratic primary because he's too conservative. He can't win a Republican primary because he's too liberal. Interesting. Um, and, and he'll just really fall between two chairs there. So when we come back, we're going to talk about Ukraine. But uh, let's first take a question from Phil and Yonkers who wants to talk about that. Hey, Phil. Hey, Hello. Phil. I'm sitting here next to your buddy, Dougie DePiro. Hey, Phil. How oh, you doing? Yes. 
I'm doing good. Yeah, Dougie's a longtime friend. We know each other over 40 years. And Phil's one of the most amazing bass players you'll ever hear. Okay. Okay, uh, Phil, you're on. <laughs> He's yeah. speaking bass uh, to you. Okay, Phil, let's yeah, go. You know, What's your question? I, I, He's lowering his voice. <laughs> What's your question? <laughs> He's not right. I, I wanted to talk about the Ukraine, and, you know, uh, my question. Um, first of all, I'm very impressed with what I've seen, anyway, of the Ukrainian people taking up arms and being ready to protect their sovereignty. Yeah, right. But it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, not Afghans. Right, right. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. Isn't part of the Ukraine pro-Russia? Yeah, what happened was, a third of it is, what happened was that uh, after World War II, Stalin decided to force Russians, ethnic Russians, to move into the Ukraine because he wanted to establish a Russian demography in the Ukraine. And uh, they moved to eastern Ukraine, close to Russia, And there are communities where Ukrainian is not spoken, uh, only Russian is spoken. And uh, they're ethnically Russian, and they're very close to Russia. And probably if there was a plebiscite in many of those areas, they would probably vote to be part of Russia. Uh, And they were moved there with that in mind. That doesn't discount the fact that two-thirds of Ukraine is passionately anti-Russian and wants to be independent and wants to be Ukrainian. The obvious solution that they're going to come up with at some point is to cut Ukraine from 45 million people to 30, uh, give them people who want to be independent in Ukraine, and let the 15 million Russians join Russia if they want to. I mean, it's a hell of a choice. Do you want to go into the European Union, share prosperity, or do you want to go into Russia and and, and be hungry? But, um, you know, no accounting for ethnicity. But good question, Phil. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Later, Thank brother. you very much. Later, brother. Yeah. My bass player friend. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Dick Morris Show on 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. We interrupt this broadcast for a call from our favorite caller. Judith from Brooklyn. Hello, hey, Judith. Judith. How you doing? Oh, you're so funny. Thank <laughs> you. Good afternoon, guys. You're Hi, a panic. Judith. Okay. Hi. You know, I'm going to pivot a little because as much as Ukraine and Russia is on our minds right now, very importantly, but there's something else that is on uh, should be on our mind as well. My understanding is Biden is remaking a deal, if he hasn't already, with Iran, the same deal, allowing them to be a nuclear power and take up sanctions, blah, blah. So here's the thing, and I've got a question for you. Iran is an openly terrorist country, constantly threatening, God forbid, wipe off Israel off the, uh, off the map, threaten America as well. They are a threat to Sunni countries. They're, just, they're, they're constantly threatening. You know, it's not like, it's not like they, have, they want a weapon to defend themselves. They yep. openly say they're going to be aggressive, and they're going to start wiping countries off the and map. They, and blah, they blah. claim that they How want nuclear you, power to... Six, for, for energy, yeah. and they're sitting on half the world's oil. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yes. Yeah, so, Dick, my question is, how could any country allow Iran this kind of power? Any country in the world? They're a threat uh, for the for globally, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, what, what's going to make them stop? You mm-hmm. have to. You have to realize, Judith. I Trump. think I said this last. Well, Trump would make them stop. Yeah. But the <laughs> to, to the to the view of the left. Colonialism is the big enemy, not terrorism, colonialism. 
the big countries that own other countries and dominate them. Like Britain used to have this huge empire and France did and so on. And to them, that is the big evil. And the great Satan is the United States, the most powerful country that controls other countries and and, and bends them to its will. Yeah, sure. Now, we know that that is really not true. It's a distortion. But from their point of view, building up Iran as a nuclear power and giving it a seat at the table is important in stopping colonialism. And that that's Obama's worldview. It was best expressed in a book by Dinesh D'Souza called The Roots of Obama's Rage. And he explained how Obama's father's experience in Kenya fighting British rule made that relevant. Uh, Why are we letting Iran get a nuclear weapon? Well, we're claiming we're not, but we certainly are. And uh, it's the single most irresponsible, horrible aspect of Biden's administration. And I think that once they get the bomb, it's going to be the worst of his legacy. It'll have some competition, but I think it will be. Anyway, thanks for your call, Judith. Great, great question as always. So what about Ukraine? This is 45 45 million people that want to be free. Okay, 30 million of them are Ukrainians. They want to be free. They've struggled for their freedom for for decades. Uh, I went through it, I think, in uh, two or three shows ago. A half a portion of the country, like two million people, was wiped were wiped out in the famine of the 1930s because this communist government in Russia confiscated their food uh, before they could eat it. Uh, literally confiscated their crops the minute they came out of the ground. And two or three million farmers died because <clears throat> they wanted to force them into collective farm. Farmers dying of starvation. Yeah, it's very hard to imagine, but yeah. it was uh-huh. true. Um, then in World War II, uh, the Nazis came in and killed a million of them. And when the Russians came in and reconquered Ukraine, they took the position that anybody that was alive in Ukraine must have been a collaborator with the Germans, otherwise they'd be dead. So the only ones they didn't kill were the ones who were dead. <laughs> oh my God. So they killed another two or three million Ukrainians oh when they brought them back into the Soviet Union. So you look at the total death toll, you're looking at about five or six million Ukrainians who died either in the war or in the famine or in the communist takeover after the war. And uh, no wonder they really love Russia. And uh, they've been struggling to be free. Um, some some people like Tucker Carlson say that they have been a dictatorship, which is totally untrue. There's a word I'd like to acquaint everybody with. Some may know it. The word is fifth column. In the 1930s, when Franco, the fascist, was trying to topple the democratic government in Spain. He sent in his army and they invaded Spain from their bases in Morocco and they advanced in four columns along the roads. And the head of the Spanish forces said, Franco said, I have a fifth column, which is the people who are for me in the population who will rise and try to overthrow the government in Madrid. And that's my fifth column. And that phrase, fifth column, came to mean the subversives in your country who are basically allied with the enemy. And when the Nazis conquered Norway, the Norwegians called themselves the fifth column that the Nazis were counting on that was going to stand up for their country. 
and uh, Ukraine is filled with a fifth column. And if Putin does invade, we're going to see that fifth column rise up and we're going to see Ukrainians battling their hearts out. And the news to come is pretty evident when the Ukrainian separatists, which are Russian soldiers, uh, shelled the school and, uh, and, and thank God the students weren't there, but they demolished the school with no military purpose. You're going to see that over and over again, and it's going to really make an impact on global public opinion. Living in Russia, living in under communism, is no bargain, as Elton John will tell you. Let me put it in perspective. Russia doesn't need a lockdown, you know? <laughs> no. I mean, they're kind of locked down from beginning. Like when they wake up. Yeah, right. And, and that, is, that is what the Ukrainians are facing. Um, let's go to Tony about New Jersey. wants a question about Ukraine. Hey, Tony. Hi, Mr. Morris. Um, I, I have uh, a question, uh, a scenario that's going on with the Ukraine now. Um, you, you have the United States, you have China, you have Russia, all supposedly superpowers. You have uh, Ukrainian sovereignty being uh, questioned right now. Um, and this all creating uh, rumors of the war and so much financial instability. Um, what is the possibility of a peace treaty just based on that financial turmoil? And could, could, could afterwards it leave a vacuum of power that could create to a, a worldwide catastrophe, uh, a peace treaty that doesn't hold, and where and when will Israel uh, get involved in this because there's so much Israel's, involved in, in a it, world. Israel's got its own problems, Tony, and it's not going to mess around in this. Uh, but the rest of your question is a good one. Uh, there is an obvious deal to be cut here, an obvious deal. Ukraine says we're not going to enter NATO, and NATO says, we will guarantee your sovereignty anyway. You won't join in offensive NATO operations when we round up troops to go invade uh, Afghanistan to catch bin Laden. We won't have any Ukrainian troops in there. We won't base NATO troops in Ukraine. We won't put missiles in Ukraine. But if anybody invades you, we will treat you as a member of NATO and rise to your defense very much in a sense like we have with Taiwan. The Chinese know that if they invade Taiwan, they're going to have to cross the Straits of Taiwan in the face of the U.S. Navy. And uh, they know that. And I think it's huge deterrent, and I think that Ukraine will do a very similar deal. And then the ultimate deal is partition. You have two countries here that were forcibly brought together by Stalin. Let them separate. Let them live in peace and happiness. The Ukrainian government won't like that because they want all 45 million people under their regime. But um, the deal is obvious here. What Putin is trying to do is to establish a, uh, a, a, 
momentum for communism and for Russia and leadership and control, which will spill from Ukraine into Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, then into Poland, then into Hungary, Czechoslovakia, and Romania, the Czech Republic, and basically rebuild the Soviet empire. You know how we love that video of of Reagan standing up before the wall of Berlin and saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Well, Biden might as well be standing there and saying, Mr. Putin, build back this wall. Yeah, the only thing he's going to actually build back better. This is the Dick Morris Show on 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Down one and I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the I have a question. <laughs> Why the hell doesn't Trudeau relax the mandates? I mean, if he simply signed the thing saying you don't have to wear a mask anymore, it wouldn't increase the death toll in Canada. He's tearing his country apart, ripping it asunder, a country that basically has been gotten along with yeah. itself. They had a problem with the Quebec separatists, but that's long past now. And he's tearing his country apart over this. Uh, why is he doing it? It would go away, right? This whole thing would yeah. go away. And COVID is going away anyway. Yeah. And uh, why is he doing this? Why does he insist on these mandates and the vaccine mandate? He has enough immunized in his country to create herd immunity uh, or very close to it. And and if he doesn't, those who are vulnerable and could get COVID, it's their risk. And uh, we, we but we've we've done everything. Uh, he's COVID is way down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the number of cases is down something like 70 or 80 percent. Uh, and uh, yet he's still there with the mandate tearing his country apart. The one thing that he's determined never to do is to comply with what the people want and free them from this horrible, horrible mandate. He's going to find a situation where Americans are not going to have to wear masks because the the governors will have relaxed those requirements, but Canadians will. What's the sense of that? Right. We're on one continent. It's it's just ridiculous, it and no but sense. it becomes more than ridiculous. It becomes dangerous and offensive with some of the measures he's taking against the truckers, uh, trying to penalize people that donate to the truckers, uh, trying to penalize the truckers themselves, and horribly, horribly threatening to take away the children of people who are boycotting the mask requirement and threatening to take away their pets. Oh, my God. Their dogs and their cats and uh, to euthanize them after seven or eight days if the truckers don't back down. So that you'll have dogs in cages with a artificial deadline set by the Canadian government to kill them after seven or eight days. And I'd be the, in jail for murder. If the truckers don't back down. Now, you know, I'm pro-dog and everything, but this is a little ridiculous. And they called it puppy love. I picked that song. Oh, I guess they'll never know <laughs> how a young heart really feels and why I 
<laughs> so it is just insane to watch this man presiding over the over the division of his own country and barbaric treatment of its residents. And what he's trying to do is to make the issue, the blocking of traffic, the barricading of streets, okay, end it all with the stroke of your pen. Just absolutely crazy. Now, Hillary's candidacy for president is in the face of the very serious allegations being made, not by some partisan hack who has a mic in front of his face who works for Trump or works for the Republicans or works for other Democrats, but by the United States attorney, former U.S. attorney, who is now charged with being the special prosecutor to investigate the origin of the Russia-Trump hoax, the phony charge that Trump was in cahoots with the Russians. And uh, this U.S. attorney, in an official court filing, under oath, under penalties of perjury, stated not an opinion, not an indictment, but as a background fact that Hillary hired operatives who were were already in charge of wiring the Oval Office um, as part of their, their, their official duties and basically slipped them a buck to go ahead and wire the president so that she could hear what he was saying and that she could dig up evidence, phony evidence, of of collusion with the Russians. And that buck was uh, symbolic, considerably more. Uh, The contract was, I I don't know how much it was for, I don't think it's out public yet. But this is is absolutely incredible. And the fact that the mainstream news media is not covering this is unbelievable. This is Hillary's pattern. It absolutely used to drive me crazy right. when I was in charge of covering for her. And uh, every all, I, at one point, I just sat there and said, "You know, every single scandal we face while I'm trying to get Clinton reelected starts with Hillary. Uh, even the sex scandal started with Hillary because she wouldn't cut a deal with Paula Jones, uh, even though Paula said that she didn't want an apology or money. She just wanted acknowledgement that." Clinton had sent a trooper to bring her upstairs, uh, which could have been state business. Every single scandal, it was the wiretapping uh, of the uh, of uh, the surveillance of White, people and in connection with Whitewater, uh, the pulling up of, of citizenship records of uh, Whitewater prosecutors and of others, the, uh, the, the terrifying of women who uh, had been involved with Clinton and cowing them into silence. Uh, the, uh, the the entire process was always to cover up stuff in Whitewater. Then she moved on to the Clinton Foundation, wasn't content with stealing or bribe or paying off King and bribes, uh, 100000 bucks in the futures market. But she moved on to to the Clinton Foundation, which was basically a RICO. It was a racketeering scheme 
where she would sell access to the State Department, access to herself as Secretary of State, in return for paying her husband to give speeches through the Clinton Foundation. And uh, the and they raked in huge amounts of money doing that. And why did – and then what did they do to cover it up? They had a private email server that the public couldn't access, that the government couldn't access. And they did that, I believe, for only one reason, to cover up the trail of the evidence of the bribe she was taking as Secretary of State through her husband. And without the email records, that could not be established and could not be prosecuted, even though it's obvious it was going on. It's unbelievable. So she gets into the email scandal, and that costs her the election in 2020. 2020. Now she's on to yet another scandal because she was losing the election of 2016. Uh, She fabricated the scandal that Trump was in cahoots with Russia. And to establish that scandal, she hired a negative research surveillance team that cooked up a completely phony dossier, lied to the FBI, told them that they found evidence where they had not, and then broadcast it to the media so they would cover the scandal and create a sense of public anger about it. And this is what's stopping her from 2024, Mm -hmm. what's going to be in her way. So every time you see Hillary, she's always getting in trouble for her cover-up of the previous scandal. And you always have to go back. And even the stuff I was talking about, about Paula Jones, the reason she wouldn't settle was that she didn't want to have to release her tax returns, which showed the winnings in the futures market that she did in 1980. Hmm. You have to be an archaeologist to understand (laughs) Hillary's scandals and dig through them to to go to the the long-lost civilization. The cover-up is worse than the scandal. Yeah, and and the cover-up causes the new scandal every single time. And she says, oh, no, I'll get away with it this time. Let's go to uh, Eric in Manhattan. Hi, Eric. I'm sorry. Hold on. I was on speaker. Hi, hey, hey uh, hi, how are you? Okay. Yeah. Um, so now well, I have, there's so many factors that tell me that Democrats are going to stay home like in 2016. I'm a Trump Democrat. And like, you know, you said that, um, you know, they explained they didn't explain their plan well enough to Democrats. That's the liberal intelligentsia. You know, I think they explained it too well. Plus, um, you know, Trump's like the I mean, Trump, uh, Biden could be like the final nail in the coffin for Democrats. I think if between Hillary and, and, and AOC, I think they we're just going to they're just going to stay home. I, I of course, I'm going to vote for Trump again. Well, you know, um, yeah, but and Hillary's a, tra- a traitor twice. That's treason. She had her server. Remember, people died because of that. Yeah, of course. And, and you can count some other stuff, too. But um, I believe that if AOC runs. All of the left is going to back her, and it's going to become a religious crusade. Uh, Bernie Sanders on steroids. Mm. Um, Because Sanders was basically, I have a good idea. I have this program, free college and free everything. Vote for me. But now with AOC, it's going to be stop Hillary from coming back, stop them from stealing the Democratic Party from the progressive base, stop Donald Trump from coming back, get an articulate young advocate who can stand up to him, not a, a dead horse like Biden, and that they'll be infused with passion, and they're going to vote for Hillary in droves. Let's go to George in Rockland. Hey, George. Hi. i like to bring something from way back, okay? Remember L- LBJ? Yep. So my question here is, 
besides the party, okay, are there any similarities between LBJ to AOC? I don't think so. I, I, AOC is a radical, and so was LBJ. But radical back then was pretty good. <laughs> back then, radical meant you want Medicare, you want Medicaid, you want student loans, you want environmental protection. You know, what used to be on the 50-yard line is now in the end zone. Huh. And uh, now uh, it, radical means racism and discrimination against white people and uh, programs that specifically are only for people of color. So it's a, it's a very different uh definition of radical. Let's go to uh, Chris in the Catskills. Hey, Chris. Hey, how you doing, Dick? Uh, I think I'm a policy wonk Democrat myself, and I see a lot of dynamics going on that play themselves out uh, locally and on the state level. Uh, Kevin Cahill, the assemblyman based out of Kingston, New York, is facing a primary challenge by a woman who moved up from the city. Sarah Hanna is her name. And Kevin's always been known as a very strong, progressive, pro-labor, Democratic the unions. Yeah. He, he used to represent Maurice Hinchy's old seat. Uh-huh. And then he had a spat with uh, okay. I'll tell you, I have to town. I have to close you down here because we're running out of time. What's your question? Oh, my point is, is that uh, outside of, you know, AOC and Bernie Sanders are the two mainstay candidates. I asked a a progressive friend of mine just like 10 minutes ago to name a policy wonk, strong progressive candidate and other. And I said, other than the act, the three letter acronym that begins with A and don't say Bernie Sanders. And there was silence. No, but Bernie Sanders really was an innovator of crazy radical policies. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.